everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 21, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to my friend, Dylan Dwyer. This episode will be a little different than most, because Dylan is sitting right across the desk from me here at the world headquarters of Wild Ass, so I hope you all like this one. People from small towns all seem to know each other. This one's no different. Dylan and I have been crossing paths for as long as I can remember, and over the past few years, we actually became friends. Instead of me reading a long bio with you sitting right here, I'm just going to say it now. Dylan, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. Are you excited you're sitting in the world headquarters of Wild Ass, the now also podcast studio? Yeah, this is wonderful. Um, but I do feel kind of right at home here, so that's, that's <laughs> nice. The nice thing about being local is you get to stop by, say hi from time to time, all those cool things. Exactly. Get to see what goes on behind the scenes a little bit. Exactly. Get so to see the mess. Yeah, yeah. So I always say when people that you mentioned the mess, so I'm, I want to talk about this. All this stuff up behind me on the wall, you, you people see it on uh, Wild Ass Wednesdays on Facebook every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Central Time. We'll put a plug in there. Everything on there has a story, and every time somebody stops by, I ask if you want to hear anything, you just point it out, and I'll tell you the story behind it. We won't do that now. I can see you're thinking. Because we got a podcast to go. We can. You know what? Let's do it. If you have something you see up there, you can ask me this story. Actually, I don't have a question, but I was looking at that RC Raceway trophy. I went home the other day, and I noticed that mine is smaller than yours. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all I have. Well, well, we maybe we'll have to get back into that this winter and see if we can't, can't go both of us get bigger trophies. Because uh, it's all about the trophies. We'll hear that later on, I'm sure. All right. So uh, you're from the area. Tell us where you grew up. Tell us a little bit about your past. Well, I grew up right here around Brainerd, about halfway between Brainerd and a small town called called Pillager. I actually had a Brainerd address, but a Pillager school district, so I went to Pillager schools. But yeah, I, I've been around here. I think we moved up from Wilmer when I was like three or four years old. So I've been in the Brainerd area my whole life. And so where your parents live now, is that where you grew up? Yeah, I think they built that place in like 1980. little story for everybody listening, that's... One mile from where I live now. Exactly. In fact, where you live now used to be some of my old three-wheeler trails. There's yeah. a big mud hole right behind the Dueling Rooster Raceway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a, the power lines. Thing. It's all swamp back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there used to be nobody around there. There's like two farms and us. I wish you could go back on Google Maps and, and like see, maybe you can, see pictures of 10 years, 5 years previous and see how far back you could go. That'd yeah. be interesting, especially where we live. You actually went to school with Renee, but I think you're a little bit younger. Yeah, I was, I think, three years younger than her. She was the same age as my sister, so I remember being real little, and Renee was spending the night with my sister. So Okay, that's yeah, funny. I've known Renee for a thousand years. So. Yeah, well, not to age anybody, but yeah, probably. <laughs> the other thing, I have a note here, you went to school with your wife. I did. Tell us about that, your high school sweethearts? Um, yeah, we've been married 21 years. We started dating 31 years ago. And, uh, yeah, I've known her forever. We were in kindergarten together. She actually got held back a year. but I, <laughs> so, so through high school, she was a year behind me. But, uh, yeah, I've known her forever. So High school sweethearts, still together. Not a very common story. How many kids do you have? Uh, we have one kid. Uh, he's just about to turn 21 now. So not so much a kid anymore, but... It's crazy. So I have to ask you these questions like I don't know them because the listeners don't know. But uh, it's funny, yeah, how how fast these kids grow up, for sure. Does everybody in your family ride? I know the answer to this, too, but... For a lot of years, we did. I know, like, for, for quite a while there, 
My son would race on Friday nights. Misty would race hair scrambles on Saturdays. And then we'd all three get together and go ride at like a practice track, like a tracks north or whatever on Sunday. So yeah, we spent a lot of time riding together as he was growing up. And that was fun. But it's also a full-time job. You know, you'd ride for, you know, a dirt bike, so everything has to work right or it's yeah. not real safe. Yep. So we'd ride for a little while then yeah, Monday was all day washing bikes and seeing what was broken, ordering parts. Parts would come in on Thursday, get everything put together on Friday, and off you go and do it over again. The beauty of a small town, parts right. aren't always readily available. Right. So it was kind of exciting when he decided he wanted to get out of it. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'd like to have it back. Those were good times. Um, yeah, we were up at Tracks North a couple of weeks ago visiting with everybody and talking about stuff. And yeah, I mean, you miss it. Yeah, I for that reason I I've stayed away from dirt bike tracks now for twelve years. Right. So I I think I threw a leg over a dirt bike once, maybe eight to ten years ago, somewhere in there. It was one time. Still have the dirt bike just in case, but uh, I I kind of like to get back on it now. Yeah, and it looks like a great idea, but if you hang out long enough, you'll see somebody crash, and it's like oh, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and that's what we did there the other day. So yeah, right in front of us, somebody came up short on a double and bounced pretty hard and. Yeah, I've done the exact same crash myself. I know what it's like, and it's like, yeah, maybe we'll just stick to the roads for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell everybody, how did you get into riding? Like, how did you get into it at first? Um, right after kindergarten or first grade, I don't remember, but um, my dad bought us a Honda 50 for me and my sister. I was probably a little bit small for it, but it fit her. And, yeah, we wore that thing out in the summer, and I think the next year we got another one. And uh, we lived out in the country, so we always had stuff like that, motorcycles, three-wheelers, and everything else. When I got to be like 16 years old, I kind of got shifted over to cars, you know, because I wanted to get out and, you know, be free. So I kind of put the bikes away for a while and got out of it, but uh, yeah, I always enjoyed them. Even on the years I wasn't riding, you know, I always followed Supercross and Motocross. I, I loved that stuff. And eventually, I was at a point where I could afford to get back into it, and we did. And did it as a family at that point, right? Exactly. So how did you go, so you grew up with dirt bikes, how did you go from dirt to street? When did that all come about? Um, I was working at a local dealership here, Brothers Motorsports, and part of the job I did involved messing around with street bikes, and I got an endorsement for that reason. And on the weekends and in the evenings and everything else, I was always taking something from the used inventory and taking it home and riding it. Um, after a couple of years of doing that, I decided to buy my own and just had a hoot. What was your <laughs> what was your first bike? Um, it was a 2002 Suzuki SB650. It's a great bike. I think they use those road racing, don't they? They do. They compete like against the 1200 Harleys, so that gives you an idea of the Japanese versus American edition. Yeah. And, uh, well, and the Ducatis, all that. They're all in the same class. Did you ever do that? Did you ever take it up to the track? No, I never did. Um, I'm glad I didn't because that would have been another bad hobby. So. <laughs> So what's uh, what's the progression of bikes since that one? Um, after I got rid of that one, I went without for a while. Like I say, my my son got to the age where he didn't want dad to leave during the day. So if I wasn't at work, I didn't want to just leave him hanging. So you know, we we played with him for a while. Eventually, he was old enough to where he didn't care so much anymore. <laughs> didn't want to hang out with dad. And I was actually in the the hobby of flipping ATVs and motorcycles and stuff for profit. And I found a 2002 Harley Sportster for sale on, I think it was Craigslist. And it was cheap. I knew I could make a, a good profit off it, so I went and checked it out. I rode it home, and I got probably halfway home, and I decided I'm keeping it. And it <laughs> broke my number one rule, you know, <laughs> don't fall in love. But, uh, yeah, I knew right away I wanted it. 
Yeah, I rode that one, I think, probably three or four years before trading up to something else. Yeah, I like the Sportsters. Um, but the best way to describe them is you know, they feel like you're on a motorcycle. You know, sus- suspension's horrible. You know, the brakes are horrible. <laughs> the motors vibrate. And, and I'm kind of a sick guy. I love it. <laughs> That's that old school dirt bike stuff. Exactly. And it, it feels like a vintage bike, but yet it's reliable like a, like a new bike. From the Sportster, what happened? Um, so I, I was the only one in the family with a road bike at the time. And my wife, Misty, she decided that she kind of liked it, or she was interested in, in doing it. So I was all excited about that. She got her learner's permit. I thought, cool, I'll be able to spend some time bonding with the wife, teaching her how to ride a bike. And I showed her where the key was and the start button, and she left. And that was the end of my teaching. <laughs> she was that that yeah it was over after that. I think I gave her just a couple small pointers after that to, to help her pass her test, and that was it. And for my fortieth birthday, I decided I was going to give her my old bike, and I was going to buy a brand new one for myself. So we bought another Sportster, a brand new 883, and I got to ride that maybe 20, 30 miles, and she took it. So <laughs> so I stuck with the old one for a few more years. So yeah, that was fun, though. Then we finally had a pair of them. We could go and ride together, and good times. She grew up riding, though, right? She did. She grew up around the sport, for sure. Yeah, her dad has been a, or, well, he's retired now, but he was a motorcycle mechanic. Well, I say motorcycle, but basically all forms of motorsports. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, same deal. You know, whether it was their own machines or he just brought them home for the weekends, she always had stuff laying around. And yeah, so she grew up riding. And like I say, before she went to the street, she had actually just gotten done racing a season of AMA hair scrambles, which, if you don't know what hair scrambles are, it's basically racing a motorcycle through the woods. Yeah, it's through, uh, I always call them goat trails, basically. You race for an hour through the woods. Women, was she women or girls class? Uh, women. Yes, yeah, so that's a one hour. Yeah, it, roughly. It was basically one hour plus a lap, depending on where you were. Sometimes it was only one lap, sometimes it was four laps. If I remember correctly, it's a distance whatever the distance is, could be eight, could be 20 miles, but the, the finish line is one hour. So once it hits one hour, then as you come across, you're done, right? Or is it plus one lap? Because I believe I think, it is one hour, so if you come through at 59 minutes, you're doing another lap. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I remember. And we've, we've been to some gnarly ones where most people didn't even do one lap. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. No, that's awesome. Little known fact in the world, her dad was the only guy at that dealership allowed to work on our race bikes when I was a kid. You remember that. I do. I remember your dad would tip Bill uh, some booze every Christmas, and yeah, I probably got into some of that myself. So. <laughs> I think it was, I was trying to think of that. I think it's, uh, it was E&J. Yeah, something like Big jug that. of E&J brandy was his tip every Christmas time. <laughs> We're doing such a good job all year. Yeah, Bill's awesome. From the Sportster, how did you get up to the bike you have now? What was the, the chain of bikes? Well, I love the Sportsters around here. We've got tight, twisty roads, um, not a lot of high speeds, and, and they're great for that. But then we'd go out west for like the Sturgis Rally every fall, or every summer, I guess, and it always felt underpowered. Get into bigger country, bigger hills, bigger open spaces, and it just felt like they wouldn't move. So I came up with a plan, I think it was in 2016, yeah, it was 2016. Um, I decided I was going to buy a black road glide while I was out there. That's kind of what I wanted. And we rode around all week. And at the time, I kind of got the impression that baggers were kind of useless. Because everywhere we went, I was stuck behind a bunch of them going ridiculously slow. 
And uh, I like to go, when I ride, I like to kind of go a little bit faster than you should, especially through corners. I like to corner hard and everything. And I had convinced myself that they just wouldn't work for that. So I spotted, we got the big bike tent there in Rapid City, and I spotted a Dyna Street Bob. And I thought, well, that's cool. You know, it had the mid pegs, had everything else. It didn't look like a bunch of stuff would drag on the ground. So I, I bought the Dyna instead. We actually bought it on the way home. And I rode it home, got what, two th- or one thunderstorm and two raccoons, or two thunderstorms and one raccoon on the way home, I don't remember. <laughs> but it was a rough ride home. So yeah, I went to the Dyna after the Sportsters. And yeah, so for quite a while there, we had me on the Dyna and Misty on the newer Sportster. And she wanted something more comfortable for herself. So she ended up buying, I think, a 2019 Softail Deluxe. And she put the windshield and everything on it. Nice, big, comfortable bike for her. Yeah. And uh, she was actually craving, you know, straighter roads, more miles, faster riding, stuff like that. Whereas I was getting beat up with no windshield and everything else. So I decided I needed something to keep up with her. And I ended up with a black bagger. (laughs) (laughs) This black bagger has a bit of a story, though. So I'd like you to share that. How you found it and then the story of actually going and retrieving it. Well, I decided I wanted something to kind of blend in with the crowd. <laughs> B and I, I had spent so much time giving people on baggers a hard time. I felt horrible getting into one myself. So I thought if I get a real basic one, I'll blend in. Nobody will notice. So uh, what it came down to is I decided I wanted a used Road King. And then another benefit of the Road King is you can take the windshield off. I still love riding without a windshield when I can, you know, if the conditions are right. So uh, anyway, we were looking for a, a used Road King. I spent probably half the winter looking around, and I found one on Marketplace. I think it was a 2011, and the price seemed okay. It was low miles, so I called on it, and the guy talked to me for probably about an hour. <laughs> um, he went on and on about, about his story. Turns out he was uh, 84 years old. His family was making him sell the motorcycle because he was too old for it. And after quite a while of talking to me, um, I had... Basically, had to try to convince him that I was the right guy for his bike. And uh, we've, we kind of agreed on a price over the phone. I hadn't actually seen the bike or anything. But I decided to go down there and pick it up one day. And, yeah, I get there. And like I say, he was 84. He had been riding for 69 years. And he was a hairdresser in Minneapolis. And a lot of his clients were the big bike clubs of the time, Hells Angels and everybody else. He wasn't a member himself, but he was friends with everybody because he did their hair. Sure. So he had just countless stories, and he had photo albums of him on old bikes way back in the day, and and he went on and on, a pretty cool guy. And when we were on the phone talking, he was asking me about places that we go, and I had mentioned that I had never been to Daytona Bike Week. Well, when I got there, he had a bunch of stuff waiting for me, cleaning supplies and everything else, and and he had this Daytona 1993 shirt that was his, and he gave me that because I had never been there before. I thought that was pretty cool. So... That shirt's been with the bike. It's been in the saddlebag for every mile I've put on it since. I think I've had it for two years. Yeah, that's really cool. So he kept you on the phone for an hour. He was making sure you were the right buyer. Right. He's he kind of like me. He was. It wasn't about the money. He wanted to make sure he was doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> doing right by his motorcycle. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I've left it a lot. You know, it basically looks the same way as it did when I bought it. I made a couple small changes, but I think if he saw it on the street somewhere, he'd recognize it. Yeah. So. <laughs> At 84, he probably would. He would. He was a pretty sharp guy. He knew what was going on. So. Yeah. So you and your wife riding, she's your kind of your main riding partner, huh? 
Yeah, she's a pain in my ass, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's nice to have someone as crazy as I am or whatever. Um, you know, for the last 31 years, basically anything I've ever taken an interest in, she's right there with me and vice versa. So yeah, it's been good to have a partner for just about everything. That's cool. And she rides well. She does. Um, yeah. <laughs> she does. <laughs> like um, I say, she took to it naturally. I didn't give her much coaching at all. In fact, I had to kind of push her into some bad habits. So <laughs> I was thinking of it today, and some of our first rides together probably were the Craig Johnson Memorial Rides. I believe they were. So, listeners, I have my own memorial ride because I'm too greedy to let all my friends have it after I'm dead. And this year we had our 10th, and I think you've been at most of them. Yeah, most of them. I remember one year I was sitting at home polishing my motorcycle, getting it ready for next weekend's memorial ride. And here it turns out the ride was happening while I was sitting there polishing my motorcycle. <laughs> I, was, I was one week off. And that might be the only one you've missed. I think so. Yeah, but man, was that bike clean. <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I, I probably put it in storage right after that. That looks so nice, let's just put it away. Yeah. So. <laughs> I remember, and I think that year... It seemed like Misty's family always had a family reunion that same weekend. And that year we made the route go so the end was near that family reunion. So you could just bail out on us and then you didn't show up anyway. Right. I don't know where she was at the time either because, yeah, it seems like she should have reminded me. We could blame her. (laughs) Totally her fault. I said she was a pain in my ass. Right. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I didn't ask you about and that I have learned recently is that you were an ATV trainer. I was. I did that for probably about 10 years. Explain that. How did you get into that? We were pretty big into ATVs before my son was born. You know, every weekend we'd load him up in the trailer and go to some riding area in the state or close to the state. So we were pretty big into it, and we had bought probably two or three new ATVs in a row. And when you buy a new one, at the time, the factory would give you an incentive to take a training course. And it kind of came about back in the day when ATV or when three-wheelers were still popular. People would buy them, get hurt, and everybody was getting sued and everything. So they came up with this training program. Nobody showed up. So they, <laughs> they started offering like 50 or 100 bucks to get people to come and take this course. So we had taken it three times ourselves. And I was interested in it. I had just coming, or I had just gotten over a pretty big crash myself and uh, destroyed one. And uh, I thought maybe we could help people out and get them on the right track and plus it paid well too so uh, I talked to the, one of the local instructors he gave me the, the line and as far as you know how to get started on doing it myself so I got a hold of the ATV Safety Institute yeah they sent me down to California for a week of training and after that I was up here doing it on my own so on Saturdays there'd be a big group of four-wheelers there next to brothers and uh, yeah I'd be teaching courses on Saturdays that was kind of fun but there again, I, I had left Brothers. I was out of there for probably two years. I had kept doing it on the side anyway, but I eventually just phased myself out. I value my Saturdays. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, what kind of stuff were you training? Um, it was, you know, basically it was, it was geared towards a person who had never been on one before. Oh, so okay. you'd start out, like the first exercise was they'd drive like three feet ahead of them and hit the brakes. You know, and once you got the brakes figured out, you'd start turning. You know, and a lot of it was based on moving your body around. Like if... You've probably read an old three-wheelers. Oh, yeah. If you didn't lean, you rolled over. You know, so, uh, and we basically treated the ATVs as if they were old three-wheelers and just taught them to move their bodies around, and yeah, it was fun. Then, of course, you got into the responsible riding as far as tearing stuff up and everything else. It, it was a pretty good course. 
Yeah, I, and I don't know that they do that anymore. I, I Maybe they do. You'd think so. Yeah, you know, it seems like ATV sales have really gone down. Everybody's going to the side-by-sides. And like I said, the side-by-sides, it doesn't really matter so much. I mean, you're buckled in. You can't move around. So. <laughs> Those are the ones that need training. Exactly. That yeah. sense of security they all have. Right, and I've been <clears> on the <throat> trails with a lot of them, too. And, yeah, it seems like they should have something. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like everywhere I go, you hear of somebody wrecking one and getting hurt. So, exactly. yeah, those guys need it. Motorcycling's not your only hobby. I know you have an old car in the garage. I do. So, tell us about that. Yeah, it's a 1951 Pontiac Chieftain. And what happened there was we had gone for a couple of rides in the fall on motorcycles and got really cold. And uh, I decided, you know, it'd be fun to... I like going places in the fall, you know, state parks or Oktoberfest type stuff. I thought it'd be cool to have something special to drive around and do that. So with an old car, you'd get a heater and a windshield. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a good deal. So, uh, yeah, we spent almost a year looking for stuff. And I think my only search requirements was that it had to be older than 1973. And uh, after spending the whole summer looking around, I found that 1951 Pontiac. uh, We never actually used it for what we planned on. (laughs) You know, we maybe took it for a couple trips to the Dairy Queen and stuff like that. But we ended up getting into car shows. Tell us about those. Yeah, they're fun. Um, I remember the night before my first show, there was a show in Little Falls, Minnesota. And it's a pretty big show. I've, I've known of it for years. And I was so nervous about taking my car. So I spent the whole night, like, polishing and shining on it, trying to make it look just right. You know, thinking I'd be criticized the whole time I'm there. And, uh, yeah, w- once we got to the show, I mean, all the participants, they kind of gather around and talk to each other for a little bit, you know, once you get going. And once the spectators show up, everything changes. And it, it really is all about the spectator. It's, uh... I don't, well, I've told Misty before, we're not car showing, we're car sharing. Sure. And, uh, yeah, people just come up to you and they start telling you stories about, you know, the one that their grandpa had or the one that their uncle had or, or they had one and, you know, what they paid for it, how they wrecked it. And, and it, it brings back memories for everybody. And so, yeah, it's, uh, I always thought that it was just kind of a hobby where people got together and showed off how much money they could spend. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really more about sharing the cars with people that don't have them. And, uh, yeah, people really appreciate you being there. And so we kind of got into that. That car's for sale, right? It is, but <clears> I can't <throat> find the right buyer. I've had a lot of people message me about it and stuff, and, yeah, they're just not the right person for it. So like an old guy with a road king. Exactly. You just need to find the right buyer for your old Pontiac. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're the right one, I'd take a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're interested, hit up Dylan for an old car. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's see. So car shows. That led you into the Top Secret Chopper project. It did. Talk about that. All right. How did how did that lead into the chopper? Well, I believe this was also in Little Falls, Minnesota. <laughs> but um, anyway, around here, the, the custom motorcycle scene isn't real big. You know, there's, there's not a lot going on. And at this car show in Little Falls, like I say, there's usually probably 400 vehicles and maybe three or four motorcycles. That's a big show. I've never been to it. Yeah, it fills up their fairgrounds. It's it's pretty cool, and um, but yeah, the motorcycle class is just tiny. Like there's usually three or four there, and, and one year we were down there, and there was a guy that had a brand new street glide, and you know, it was loaded up with a dealer installed accessories. He had the matching jacket and t-shirt, and uh, <laughs> and he stood there all proud of it, you know, and and there was really no competition, so we didn't actually stay stick around until the end. But I have a feeling he got a trophy for that, and. Uh, <laughs> 
and and I thought that was just horrible. So about a week later, I had brought home a, a used Sportster. I think it was a 1998 Sportster. And about a week after that, I had cut the frame in half, and I was building something different out of it. And you got into all kinds of trouble on Facebook. I did. Um, the bike turned out to be, well, it was a Sportster 1200S model, which was basically a like a leftover Buell motor that they put in a Sportster, and they added, like, different suspension. You know, it had, like, the adjustable forks, adjustable shocks in the rear. Still only about two inches of travel, so I don't think it made any difference, but it was... <laughs> It was marketable that way, but they were they're pretty rare, and uh, yeah, people on Sportster pages really like them, and they get crabby when you cut them in half. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Once it was done, I made sure I posted pictures on, yeah. their, on their sites. So, so talk about the build because what I think was really cool is if I remember correctly, you had a sledgehammer and an F one fifty as your basic tools for bending. I think you made your own handlebars, you made your own uh, sissy bar. Yeah, talk about the project. Yeah, about the time I started it, um, I, I had a plan. There was going to be a lot of bolt-on parts from catalogs, and then the the whole supply chain issues, and I think everybody at the time decided to take on projects. So all these you know readily available chopper parts didn't exist anymore, and so I had a I had the option of either waiting, which I waited for a seat forever. Ended up making my own anyway. But anyway, I got tired of waiting, so yeah, I made most of the stuff myself. Yeah, the handlebars. I modified the forks myself, welded up the frame myself, yeah, the oil tank, seat, sissy bar, rear fender. I made everything right there at home in the garage. And yeah, it's uh, I don't have like a lot of specialized tools as far as machine work goes. You don't have a <laughs> you don't have a like a power pipe bender, you don't have any I of that mean, stuff, do you? I don't. So to make the sissy bar, the sissy bar I think it's half inch round steel, you know, solid. So I'd yeah, I'd park my pickup truck on top of a piece of pipe that would fit in. <laughs> and I'd use another piece of pipe to bend it the way I wanted it, and I yeah, just kept tweaking it with my truck. And, yeah, there was a lot of stuff where, yeah, I used log splitters for stuff. I, I did all sorts of stuff to make it happen. But it all came together pretty well. So. It came together really well. <laughs> and this was a project to have done by the next car show in Little Falls, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I ended up a year late. But <laughs> Well, you didn't say what year. It was yeah, just right. by Little Falls. <laughs> right, but we, we made it down there, and we showed the bike, yeah. Actually, its first bike was at the Full Throttle Saloon in Sturgis. Or its first show, I mean, was the first. Oh, really? Yeah. But yeah, that, that September we made it on the Little Falls and we got our trophy I was looking for. So. Nice. <laughs> nice. You can see this on Dylan's Instagram page, so we'll get you that address later, too. Or that, uh, what do they call them? Instagram address. Handles. Labels. I don't know. On his Instagram page. Yeah, I don't know. Um, back in June, you did uh, the Ride 1K in a Day. I did. Tell us about that. People do them all the time, but what made you do this one? Well, I believe I stumbled upon Ride 1K in a Day probably the first year that he had it on Facebook. In fact, I know it was the first year because I saw him post a picture of all the patches throughout the years, and the year one was a patch that I really wanted, (laughs) and I just never went out and got it. But, yeah, the Ride 1K in a Day is exactly what it sounds like. It's You get 24 hours to ride 1,000 miles. And uh, I always wanted to do it. I just always had an excuse not to. You know, I'd be thinking, okay, this Saturday I'm going to ride a thousand miles. You look at the forecast, and it's like, ah, you know, it doesn't look that great. Or maybe you have a cold, or whatever the case was. So I, I wanted to have a way to pick a date and make myself accountable for it, and just have to go either way. And uh, another thing was, I had heard of Mile Monsters Inc. not too long before it. Yeah, you had well, met Riot the fall before. You're right. I'd met Riot on the ninth annual Craig Johns Memorial Ride. 
And yeah, and he was talking about it. And uh, at the time, Hopper was doing his 100,000 in 100 days. So I went home and I started following that and everything. And yeah, it was pretty cool stuff. So I, I wanted to do something that involved them. I thought if I'm going to be out there riding, I might as well make it a fundraiser. And that's what we did. We set up a fundraiser, pick a, picked a date, and off we went. Went for it. Yeah, most people, yeah, you did yours with a cause. And yeah, my question was, how did that all come together? So that's, that's you answered that. That's perfect. And it turns out it, it made me a monster in the process. I didn't right. even know. I was a mile monster for like two months, and I didn't <laughs> even know it. So, in fact, we were out at the finish line for the Hoka Hay, and, uh, and I could have been introducing myself as the newest monster, but I didn't oh, know, yeah. so I was just telling people I'm just the guy that wanted his own sticker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that sticker. You have uh, your own sticker. I happen to have one right here. Oh, very nice. Huh? Yeah, that's the one. Is this the original or is that version two? That's the second version. Yeah. Well, let me dig deeper. So talk about this sticker. How did this come about? Well, I noticed you had your own stickers, and a lot of these long-distance riders have their own stickers. A lot, of, a lot of the heroes, well, all of the heroes that Mile Monsters represent have their own stickers. So I was starting to feel like I was the only person in the world that didn't have his own sticker. So I wanted to make a sticker, and it turns out that everybody puts their Instagram handle on there. And I didn't even have an Instagram, so I started an Instagram, made the stickers, and now here we are. Here we are. And the stickers, so the listeners know what we're talking about, the stickers are, you know, anytime you go by a state sign or you go by a landmark sign or a point of interest somewhere, you see all these stickers everywhere. These are the stickers you're talking about, right? If you look at them closely, they're mile monster, you know, they're long distance riding stickers, they're uh, overlander people, people live in the van life. You see their stickers all over the place. These are the stickers, right? And look at that, version number one. Oh, there it is. Hang on to that one. I'm a, I'm a collector of <laughs> Dylan Dwyer decals. So that's the story. You got your own sticker. One thing, after looking through your Instagram page, that we need to talk about is Serenity the Unicorn. Oh, yeah. So yes. you have this unicorn on your bike, very colorful unicorn, and we see her in a bunch of your pictures. And I believe she's in your Mile Monsters profile picture as well. She is. Tell us about Serenity. <laughs> okay, so my unicorn Serenity. Um, what happened there, originally, years ago, we played this game at Christmas, and everybody wins little prizes and gifts. And my mom had bought this real weird unicorn t-shirt and put that in the game. And she kind of assumed that her granddaughter would want it. Well, anyway, I ended up with it, and I wasn't <laughs> giving it up. And, uh, yeah, it was this rainbow unicorn shirt. And... Uh, when we go to motorcycle rallies and stuff like that, everybody dresses the same. And I wanted to do something a little different. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear that at the rally. And one thing led to another. I ended up with, you know, a whole bunch of them. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing one right now. <laughs> but, so I ended up with all these goofy shirts that we always wear at these motorcycle rallies with unicorns and kitty cats. And um, last year, last February, I'm an alcoholic in recovery. So I celebrated 13 years last February. And I got a medallion. Congratulations for that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's gone well. But uh, I got a, I got a medallion for my 13 years, and it was kind of had sparkles and unicorn glitter all over it. And I had mentioned to my wife that there was this big stuffed unicorn at the gas station that would match my medallion. And of course, okay. I, I got that as a gift. And we posted pictures of it, and I got like 150 some odd comments. You know, people cheering me on and congratulating me and everything else. So. So the way that it ended up being is, yeah, Serenity represents like a hundred and some odd people that cheered me on in sobriety. Oh, and that's cool. So 
she, I started bringing her with me on the motorcycle everywhere we went to remind me to behave, and, and she holds me accountable. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. People always, you know, when we stop and get gas or whatever, people always ask about the unicorn. And in such cases, I can give them a sticker or tell them what I'm up to or whatever, and it, it's been fun. So your uh, your incognito black bagger, secret black bagger project is kind of an attractive, attractive piece sitting in the parking lot. It is. Well, nobody <laughs> asks about the motorcycle. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that $20 unicorn in the back that they really right. concern themselves with. But. That's funny. You mentioned the next question I have, and that's, What's the deal with the tie-dye kitty cat t-shirts? <laughs> so you, you kind of alluded to that. So Right. So, yeah, you go to a motorcycle rally, I'm usually the only one. So You're always the only one. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I get a lot of compliments on that, too. You know, people always say, you're going to get your ass kicked wearing that or whatever. And, well, number one, it's worth it, you know. But number two, it's, people really seem to like it. I get a lot of compliments. People say, hey, nice shirt and stuff like that. So Yeah, it's awesome. And we can always pick you out of the crowd because you're not dressed like everybody else. Exactly. Like you said. So your wife knows that you're here, and I'm supposed to get the story here, but what's the deal with the mullet? Because it's even part of your sticker. It is. There's another thing. I, I work in a small town. I'm a UPS driver, yep. and I knew I had this fundraiser coming up, and I don't really know any of the people down there where I work, so I decided to get some crazy hair, and of course right away they're like, hey, what's up with the hair? And I'd tell them that about my fundraiser coming up. So it was just something, you know, one more little way of plugging that and sure. get another $5 here and there, $10. And and uh, so that's kind of how it started. But then, then we kind of fell in love with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to keep it going for another year. Then, of course, like I say, on my, my Mile Monsters website profile, of course, he introduces me as the mullet guy or whatever. I don't remember how it's worded. But, so, yeah, I'm kind of stuck with it for a little while. Yeah, at least for a while. Yeah. Talk about the fundraiser. You did it as a mile monster. You had a goal, and you just annihilated your goal, didn't you? We did. Yeah, this was the first time I'd ever organized a, a fundraiser. Um, I wasn't too nervous about riding the motorcycle. I had never documented it, but I'm pretty sure I've gone a thousand miles in 24 hours before. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone like seven, eight hundred miles, taking a nap, and gone further. So I knew what that was all about. But yeah, I had no idea what to expect with a fundraiser. My biggest fear was to have it just fall flat on its face. So, uh, yeah, I was doing things like the hair and everything else. Like I said, I thought I'd have to, I'd have to go for every little way to get $5 or $10, and hopefully mm-hmm. they'd add up. But as soon as the fundraiser launched, it was like two weeks before my ride, and yeah, I, all of a sudden the, the 20s came in, 100s came in, you know, 50s came in. Everybody just went hog wild as far as giving, and, and that was amazing. Yeah, I had beat my goal before the ride even started. Mm-hmm. And so the, the pressure was off there, too. And, yeah, people just kept going. I, I couldn't believe how people gave. In fact, you know, I had been given to a lot of different charities this year myself, and everybody showed me that I had to step up my game. You know? sure. I thought 20 bucks was, like, really generous. Now I'm thinking, okay, i got to go 100 or 200 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because we think of these, you know, school fundraisers as kind of all I've ever known. I don't know if you know different, but... You know, the little church ones here and there, but they're always, like you say, 20, you know, 10, 20, 5 bucks, whatever, and that's pretty good. But it seems like in the motorcycle community, these things, I mean, bikers are raising a ton of money for a lot of good causes. They are. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. They're just really generous people. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Yeah. When you did your ride, it was awesome. I like how you had everything laid out. You had everything 
you know, you had your scheduled posts, so and then you took pictures, and you were really on top of keeping people with you without, you know, being on the motorcycle. Everybody could follow your trip, and you were finding points of interest and keeping everybody involved. So I think that was a great job. Yeah, that was a huge part of my goal. Um, there's no sense in being out there doing something if nobody can see it. Yeah. And uh, I kind of like sharing little experiences throughout the day on social media anyway, so that was easy. But, yeah, I wanted to definitely keep people following along and, and I heard people even mention, you know, hey, we've been watching this all day, or my whole family's been watching this, and I could see the comments. So I knew it was working, and yeah, that was fun. It was like I was riding with just a whole bunch of friends, and uh, that was a, definitely a good time. I, I can't wait to do something like that again. Well, we're going to in uh, 2023. <laughs> I know I know we got a, a ride or two uh, put together where we'll be doing a lot of that social media stuff and trying to raise money and trying to raise more than, I'm, I'm hoping, more than we both did in uh 22 so we're looking forward to that and same thing we're going to hope to take everybody with us so everybody listening keep an eye on uh, dylan and my pages yeah moving forward yeah like i said it'd be fun to go out and see how fast a person could run you know a thousand miles or two thousand miles or what you can get done in a day or two days three days but yeah you can always do that on your own if you're doing a fundraiser i think it's well worth it to slow things down and bring people along yeah and one of the trip i don't want to say anything in the details but that'll be a slow check it out share the experience of a of a pretty cool ride that i don't know that most people even realize is here in minnesota so i think people know about it but they don't really ever think about it so hopefully we can plant that seed and get some other people running that same route right on so uh we got a couple but are there any other future rides that you can talk about uh that i can talk about And you don't have to, because we know, I mean, I know things are coming, but I'm not going to tell people. Um, I know what some of the stuff you got coming up, but that's, we don't have to tell details, but we just need to keep an eye on your page, right? Right. And I guess I can mention what it's going to be based on. Um, I don't know that you want to talk about all of it. I probably. Because I think uh, somebody might try to beat you to it. Okay. So we're just not going to talk about (laughs) this. We're going to delete all of that. Yeah, I do have something that I think will be kind of fun coming up. I think it'll be fun to watch. I don't know if it'll be real fun for me. I think a lot of the excitement is to push myself to do something a little bit harder every time. And, you know, eventually I'll probably end up failing. Of course, if you're having fun and people are following along and you're raising money, I don't know if there is such a thing as a fail. But I definitely want to keep making things more difficult. And Once I fail, or if I fail, I'll just take a step backwards and start over again. And so, yeah, I do have something kind of fun coming up, hopefully early spring. I'm looking forward to it. That one's going to be cool. Let's see. So the other thing I wanted to mention, and I, I was trying to quietly type this out because I forgot to put it in my notes. You have a very thoughtful and very creative post that I see on Facebook every Friday. <laughs> the Friday Cup. Talk about that because there's got to be something behind it. It's such a cool post. I don't know. Maybe it's just me that thinks it. but Yeah, I don't even, I don't even remember how it got started. I think I've been doing it a couple of years now. Yeah, every Friday afternoon, I, I've got a, a coffee cup. It's not even necessarily my favorite coffee cup. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a coffee cup. All right, it's the Friday cup. It's the one I use. And, uh, yeah, I just find a place, set it down, take a picture of it, and, and say something about the week or what's on my mind. I usually have no plan until I get home. And, uh, yeah, so that's just a weekly thing that I do is the Friday cup. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're friends with Dylan on Facebook, you are privy to the Friday cup. Exactly. What, uh, did I miss anything? Anything you can think of we need to talk about that we didn't? I think we were pretty thorough. Okay, perfect. That leads us to the five questions. Oh, boy. The under-the-breath grumblings of the five questions. 
You ready for this? I am ready. All right. Randomly pick. These go on a, a randomizer wheel. Easy for me to say. If you Google it, you can find a, I can't remember what it's called, like the name randomizing wheel. And then I just put in numbers and then click the button and I have 20 questions and five are randomly chosen. So your number one question is, what is the worst advice you see or hear being dispensed in the motorcycling community? Okay, I know what this is. In fact, I think your last podcast, I think the person on that mentioned the same thing. One but, of them, uh, yeah. Or yeah. it'll tell us how far behind you are in listening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically, I hear it all the time. I hear people telling each other what they need, you know, especially someone new to the hobby. You know, you, you need these handlebars or you need this jacket, you need this, you need that. And uh, I think a lot of times that's that's not the greatest advice. You know, even as far as advice on, you know, which motorcycle you need. You know, I always, if people were to ask me, you know, you know if they were going to get into riding and ask what kind of motorcycle they should get, I say just whatever kind of turns you on at the minute. You know, because it's going to be the wrong one anyway. So you're going to, you know, nobody just buys one bike and keeps it forever. So just buy something. Yeah, I, I always hear people say, oh, you need this, you need that. And uh, it's usually more or less what they wish they'd have bought or what they wish they had or something they have that maybe they like and it works great for them, but it's not going to work real good for someone else. So as far as, yeah, equipment and everything else, yeah, kind of figure it out as you go. I mean, there's no rush. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the worst advice is telling people what they need, and I think I would agree with that. Um, question number two, what is something you believe that other people think is insane. I think I'm going to go ahead and mention that I have a pretty good Sasquatch story. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, a lot of people might think that's insane, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell it here, but <laughs> good campfire story. It is. I might be one that doesn't think that's insane. So maybe it's a Minnesota thing, but, <laughs> but lot, yes, I would believe other people definitely think that would be insane. Yeah, there's a lot of things we don't know. There is, for sure. <laughs> Question number three. What topic would you speak about if you were asked to give a TED Talk on something outside of your main area of expertise? I would say I could fill an hour just discussing golf. <laughs> golf? Yeah. Do you golf? No. I went one time probably 30 years ago. <laughs> so that, that qualifies me. That would qualify you, yes. <laughs> Definitely outside your area of expertise. I know you need more than one club. That's about it. Are you giving bad advice to golfers? <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't tell them which club they need. They're on their own as far as picking their favorite. Right. Okay. Question number four. How would you describe motorcycling to somebody that has never ridden a motorcycle? It's not too often I talk to somebody that's never ridden a motorcycle. But um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would say it's, you know, I, I ride a lot without windshields and without fairings. There's nothing in front of me. So I'd say it's more like... You know, you can run as fast as you want to run. You can fly as high as you want to fly, especially like a dirt bike or whatever. Um, it it kind of turns you into superhuman. You can do anything. It's a, it's a tool that allows you to basically move as fast and as free as you want. And, uh, yeah, there's just a, yeah, a real freedom or feeling of freedom involved with it. You know, you can, yeah, it makes you more than human. It's a great tool. That's, that's a great thing, great way to explain it. Question number five, our final question, kind of two-part question. What have you changed your mind about in the last few years, and why? Alrighty. I would say it's my approach to the newcomer in the motorcycle hobby. Um, Easy one. It is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I always like to 
Well, I still do pick on people, but you can spot the new guy. You know, like they'll they'll show up at a at a, a ride or something like that, or some sort of group or a rally. They're the ones that are putting out the tough guy vibe and everything else. And and I always just kind of laughed about them. But the more I get to thinking about it, it's nice to see. You know, it, it's great when somebody wants to try something new. This motorcycle community is well. We mentioned even as far as charities go and everything else, but yeah, the, the motorcycle community is full of great people and. It's real easy to get in. All you have to do is just buy a ticket. You know, you buy a motorcycle and you're in. Like, we've been in the car show hobby for seven or eight years, and they were really slow to let us in. Really? Yep. Um, you know, they'd talk to us, but nobody really became friends until probably a year or two ago. Probably about the time that Misty bought her truck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's great seeing new people. And like I said, the, the ones that are bad eggs, they weed themselves out. And the rest of them just keep on evolving and growing, and they become part of it, and uh, it's great to see. So, yeah, if you're new and you show up with your, you know, brand new Harley gear and everything else, I'm not going to pick on you. Well, I'll pick on you, but it's it's out of love. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like new people in the, in the hobby. Oh, that's that's good. I like it. Do you have any asks or requests for the listeners? Not really. I'm saying just get out there and have fun. Give us the addresses. Where can we follow you? Where can we find you? The handles. <laughs> i got to figure out what the hell they're called. I can't right. even think of it. I think it's called a handle, but I'm not sure. <laughs> What's your name on Instagram All and right. Facebook? My, in, my Instagram name is at uh, Dylan Dwyer Rules. So it's just D-Y-L-A-N-D-W-Y-E-R-R-U-L-E-S. And I'm not on there too often. Like I say, I started the Instagram just because of my sticker. And I needed the sticker because of the Instagram. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're not too busy on there, but that'll get better. But, yeah, I'm on Facebook quite a bit, just Dylan Dwyer. And I have a Twitter that I've posted on one time, so I won't even bother going there. But, yeah, that's, like I said, Facebook is kind of my main go-to. I've been there forever, and I know how it works. I can find stuff on there. Instagram's still a little bit confusing for me. I learned how to make a reel the other day, so that was kind of fun. That's yeah, something new, Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I just grabbed my phone and checked, and you currently have 38 followers. So, people, you could really get in on, on the ground level of something awesome here. Yeah, this is going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any final words, last parting words? Not really. Yeah, this always is a stumper for me. I'm getting better now that I, I do this more and more. But one thing we have to say, you know, in the listeners, we got into this little uh, bit of banter. If you've seen it on Facebook, that Twister is just annihilating She's got more more plays than everybody, and uh, Dylan needs your shares because he wants to beat Twister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's not even for me. I think it's for the whole podcast community. You know, we can't just have her running away with it like that. Everybody else needs their shot. I know Riot's pretty broken up about it. Yeah, he's having a hard time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopper, he's... Yeah. He publicly is uh, disgruntled. Right. So yeah, they're, a, they're a pretty competitive bunch. Um, <laughs> in fact, I got called a wee man yesterday. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was the day before. But. Well, you're getting over that. I mean, yeah. you got Instagram, you got your own sticker, and uh, you know now you're on a podcast. So it's exactly. like, welcome to big time, Dylan Dwyer. Exactly. And <laughs> mine's going to probably get more listens than riots, but probably not quite as many as Twisters. So we'll, I'm hoping to kind of land in the middle. we got a range there yeah. somewhere. So <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> All right, folks, if you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. Of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. 
Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. And, of course, thank you again, Dylan, for coming in and being my first live in-studio guest. It was my honor. It was (laughs) great being here. It was a good time. Thank you. Thank you.